So, Father, as we get into your word right now, we ask for ears to hear and a mind to understand. And we thank you for the word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. So my kids, especially Sam, they have always been crazy about Lego, right? Have you had Lego in your house? Have you ever stepped on a Lego? <laughs> Over the years, he's collected uh, a variety of themed sets, and he spent hours after hours after hours building. And one day, I was walking by his bedroom, and both he and Jasmine, they were in, in the room on the floor, surrounded by Lego. They were building the Eiffel Tower. Later in the day, I walked by again, and the room was empty this time, and the building project had been abandoned on the floor. Some of the tower was in place, but there was Lego rubble all around it. They had likely gotten distracted, lost interest, and sometimes that happens, right? Well, today we're looking, beginning a look at another building project. But instead of a partly built Lego Eiffel Tower, it was a broken down stone wall, the rebuilding of which became the most important thing for a guy named Nehemiah. Over the course of this 13-chapter book, we'll learn some of the history of the people of Israel. We'll see Nehemiah's significant role in that history, and we'll see how this book pulls together the story of the Old Testament and the people of Israel who really were always expecting a king. Nehemiah, he's an example to us of how to lead well, and we're going to see little parts of that, glimpses of that, as we travel through the book of Nehemiah over these next four weeks. But what I want us to take away from this book as we journey together is how Nehemiah leaned in to pr through prayer, how the people of Jerusalem leaned in to do the hard physical work of rebuilding a wall, and how Ezra and Nehemiah, led by God, helped the people lean in to God's word, and how we are invited to lean in to repentance. I think it's significant to notice that Nehemiah is the last storytelling book of the Old Testament, if you were to read through the Old Testament chronologically. After this book comes to a close, things go silent for more than 400 years until the curtain lifts on the New Testament with the proclamation of the coming of the Savior of the world. And so I think it's appropriate that the book of Nehemiah will lead us right into our Advent series at the end of November. So if you have your Bibles today, take them out. We're turning to Nehemiah chapter 1. You'll find it right after the book of Ezra. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, both Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. Their stories are related. And both Ezra and Nehemiah have, are believed to have contributed to the writing of the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, he was a, a priest and a scribe, and he oversaw the rebuilding of the temple. And Nehemiah, he was a layman and a cupbearer who oversaw the rebuilding of the wall. 
So let's set the scene here before we get in too deep. To start, Nehemiah is a Jew and he's living far from Jerusalem. In fact, he likely has never seen Jerusalem. His great-grandparents, though, they likely were around a part of the generation that saw prophets like Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. That was his great-grandparents. They would have seen that. And they likely knew Jerusalem very, very well. They would have seen Babylonian armies march into Jerusalem, taking the people into exile in Babylon. Now, then you have his grandparents, Nehemiah's grandparents. They would have been part of the generation that saw another takeover. This time, it was the Persian Empire taking over from the Babylonians. And it was their king, King Cyrus, who reversed the previous rulings that dispersed the people of Israel and allowed them to go back home. And so they returned to Jerusalem in three waves. The first one was under a guy named Zerubbabel. The second one was under, 70 years later, under Ezra. Ezra oversaw, like I said, the leadership of the rebuilding of the temple. During the time of Ezra bringing them back, they would have heard teaching from such prophets as Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Okay, so is that bringing that all together, the picture of where we are? The third wave back to Jerusalem was under the leadership of Nehemiah. And so we're situated here at about 445 B.C., before Christ, not before COVID. So keep that date in mind. As I've already said, the book of Nehemiah is the last storytelling book of the Old Testament. And this stuff makes me giddy. So to think about that, the last storytelling book of the Old Testament. So this book pulls together the Old Testament stories, setting it up for the New Testament era. And the next king to usher in a new kingdom. This time, though, it wasn't going to be the Assyrians. This time, it wasn't going to be the Babylonians. It wouldn't be the Persians. The next kingdom to be set up would be under the reign of Jesus Christ. And so Nehemiah sets the stage. Because the rebuilding of this wall in this book is not just a rebuilding of a wall. It is the restoration of a people. Don Carson from the Gospel Coalition, he says it this way, the book of Nehemiah is about God's restoration of his people in preparation for the fulfillment of his covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're wondering where Nehemiah fits in the grand scheme of things, there it is. And thankfully so, because what we discover at the end of this book is that we really need Jesus to lean in and save us from ourselves. And so as we see Nehemiah lean in, the people leaning in, God himself leaning in, what we see is the rebuilding, we see repentance, we see revival, and we see restoration happen. So let's dig in. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, 
In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now, Susa is modern-day Iran. And it was there is where the summer residence of the king was. And you would recognize Susa because it's the same place that the book of Esther takes place. So here they are. He was in the citadel of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. This wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, Obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. That they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in re revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah, his name means Yahweh comforts. He was employed as the cupbearer to, to the Persian king Artaxerxes. This was a very, very, very important job. In fact, aside from the king's wife, Nehemiah would have been the closest person to the king. He was the most trusted advisor to the king because he was, he was the one who would taste the wine before the king drank it. Think about that. And, and he did that because if the wine was poison, then it would get him first before the king. So he was kind of like playing Russian roulette for a living. But this job, like another person we know in scripture, Queen Esther, gave Nehemiah access. It gave him favor even with the king because he was at the right place for the right time. While he's here serving as the cupbearer, his, his brother comes with some news and says to him this terrible news. Now you have to remember, this is before the internet. This is before we are able to track with, with news in real time. This is before the printing press. 
okay? So he was far away from where his brothers would have been. He wouldn't have heard what was going on over here until his brother comes now. And Nehemiah says, how's it going? His brother says, well, not good. The people of Israel, they're in trouble. The wall is destroyed. It's completely ruined. It's just rubble. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And as a result, the people, they are disgraced. Even more than that, they're vulnerable. Walls, they meant protection and strength. They were a means of defense for the people. They were often so thick and so high that no enemy was able to permeate them. Walls like this provided security, and without them, the people would be vulnerable. Without them, even business would suffer, because who wanted to have a business in the middle of a city that wasn't protected? Walls fortified the city, and now they were gone. And Nehemiah is devastated. Maybe you can identify with Nehemiah a little bit here. Except for you, it's not a wall. Instead, for you, it's a broken relationship or a bad diagnosis or a lost job. It's in this moment of despair that Nehemiah teaches us what our posture should look like when life wreaks havoc on us. And how quickly, when our heart is broken, we should lean in to God. In verse 4, Nehemiah said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Think about Nehemiah's posture here. The first thing he did when he heard this news, he sat down and wept. I mean, Nehemiah, he is completely devastated because his heart is involved here. This wasn't just a business transaction for him. He was genuinely concerned about Jerusalem because it was the Jews' holy city. It represented Jewish national identity. And it was a place that was blessed with God's special presence in the temple, the temple that Nehemiah rebuilt some time before. Jewish history centered around this city. And Nehemiah was tethered to that and loved his homeland even though he had lived his whole life in Babylon. But on top of that, Nehemiah's heart is broken because his heart is broken by the things that break the heart of God. And with that, with God's people over here like sitting ducks, vulnerable, in ruins, we know it affected the heart of God, and so it affected the heart of Nehemiah as well. When was the last time you looked around you at the state of our land and actually felt broken over it? I'm sure there's many times we look around us and we feel opinions about how things should be run. We may get frustrated with leadership and decisions that are being made, choices that go against what we believe to be God's ultimate will for our lives as individuals and as a nation. We may roll our eyes and get into heated political debates. I'm sure that doesn't happen these days. 
We may even sever relationships with people because they don't believe the way we believe or act the way we think they should act. We just look down our noses at them and shake our heads. But when was the last time you looked out the window? You watched the people as they walked by you at the hardware store or at the supermarket and you felt your heart break for them. When was the last time you looked at our leaders, our premier and our prime minister, and you felt concern for them, for their physical, mental, spiritual well-being, especially now? When was the last time you sat down and, and wept, not because you were afraid of what was next, but because you were genuinely grieved, heartbroken for the same things that God's heart breaks over. Look at Nehemiah's posture. He's seated. He's weeping. He's broken. And his brokenness drives him to prayer. And so we see his posture shift from seat it to kneeling. Now your posture for prayer might be to be seated or to stand, but for our purpose, consider that Nehemiah is kneeling here in a posture of humility and grief. He's mourning as he approaches the throne room of heaven, as he begins to petition his God for the problem at hand. You see, there's a knee-jerk reaction here with Nehemiah. His reflex action when he encounters a problem is to pray. And in verses 5 to 11, Nehemiah demonstrates for us the elements of effective prayer. I love how scripture does that for us. Sometimes you might get into a rut praying, right? God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen. When we're stuck in a prayer rut, we can look to Scripture and see various models of how we should pray. And Nehemiah shows that to us here. He demonstrates for us here what an effective prayer contains. It contains praise and thanksgiving. It contains repentance. It contains petition or request before God. And it contains commitment. And so when Nehemiah leans into pray, to pray, the first thing he acknowledges is the goodness of God. His praise declares the faithfulness of his God. And in verse 5, it says, Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Nehemiah is acquainted with who God is. He knows the characteristics of God. God is an awesome God. He is a promise keeper. He is the lover of our soul. And sometimes speaking that truth reminds us, regardless of the pit of despair we're in, it reminds us that our God is bigger than our problems. It reminds us that he is present and able to see us through because he's done it before and he can do it again. 
And this declaration of praise, this declaration of what is so characteristic of God is where Nehemiah begins. And we'd do well to begin there too. Then he moves to confession. He says, I confess we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Notice here that he starts with we and he ends with me. So many times we'll look at the person across the way and we'll confess their sins. Right? We'll notice what's wrong in their life. How they're doing this or that. And, and we'll completely gloss over the reality of sin in our own life. Instead, perhaps we can get to the other side of our turmoil. Before we can get there, we must be brokenhearted ourselves. Not for, only for our situation, but for the sin that keeps us from fully knowing and fully understanding the next step to which God is calling us. And so Nehemiah confesses his sin and the sins of the people recognizing that they have not been obedient. And through his prayer and confession, he asks God to keep that which he has promised long before. In verse 8, it says, Please remember. You said that, that if we were unfaithful, you would scatter us among the nation. And that's what happened. God kept that difficult promise. But, but... And Nehemiah recalls to God the second part of that covenant. You said, if they return to you, if they obey you, you'll return them to the place they belong. And so in his declaration of God's goodness and his confession of his own sin and the sin of the people, Nehemiah reminds God of his covenant promise and he asks God what he knows to be the will of God, that he would return the people to the place they belong where they will live in relationship with God, honoring him, serving him, obeying Nehemiah ends his prayer asking for favor. As a trusted servant of the king, Nehemiah would have known that there were earlier attempts to rebuild the wall. Attempts that would have been shot down or seen as rebellion because, and, and therefore they would have been stopped. But he also knew that the hearts of kings are ultimately in the hand of God. Friends, we may be headed into this week thinking that God has left us to our own devices. We might be wondering what things will look like on the other side of this week. We might be throwing our hands up and, and resolving to let be what will be. But we don't have to give up. We can lean in to prayer. 
We can petition heaven with all of it because the hearts of kings, the hearts of our leaders are ultimately in the hand of God. He's present. He is a present and engaged God and his sights are locked on planet earth, on us and on our neighbors. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And so Nehemiah prays for favor. And this was Nehemiah's posture for four months. For four months he prayed fervently. He sought God until finally in chapter 2, Nehemiah, he's going about his business. He's doing his job. He's drinking the wine. And the king notices him and says, something's wrong. Something's off. Nehemiah, why are you sad? Here's the thing. It would have been very dangerous to be sad in the presence of the king. It would have been very dangerous to look downtrodden in the presence of the king. So when the king says to him, Nehemiah, what's wrong? You look down. Nehemiah would have been frightened by the comment. But rather than let his fear overcome his future, Nehemiah speaks up because he's been praying for this moment for four months. It's been four months since he heard the news that drove him to weep, to, dr to grieve, and to pray. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning, if you have been seeking God for something or for someone, and you feel like it's never going to happen, you feel like God is not hearing you. Do not give up. Continue to seek. Continue to praise. Continue to lean in with the same posture as Nehemiah had as you wait on God. In his timing, in his sovereignty, he will do what he does best. So the king asks, what's up? Why are you feeling like and you know what Nehemiah does? Again, in this moment, he leans in to pray. But this time, it's not a drop to the knees and hands over the head and an extended prayer time. This time, it's something like a popcorn prayer. You know what I mean? This time, he's just got a few minutes, just a quick second to think of what to how to respond to the king. So he just shoots up a fast one and says, God, help me. And, and so Nehemiah says, because the gracious hand of God was on him, in chapter 2 and verse 8, the king said yes when Nehemiah said, can I rebuild the wall? And that's when Nehemiah's posture, it changes again. He started by sitting. He moved to kneeling. And then he ended standing. Poised for action. The heart of Nehemiah for the people of Israel moved him to action. I'm going to ask Ian to come back. In Luke chapter 19, just prior to entering the same Jerusalem, at the beginning of what we call Holy Week, Jesus stopped. And he looked over the same city that Nehemiah was talking about. 
and he wept as he considered his own people rejecting the one person they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. He was there in the midst of them. And they didn't recognize it. And so Jesus, looking out over Jerusalem, he stops and he weeps. What breaks your heart today? Is your heart broken like like Nehemiah for the same things that break the heart of God? Are you asking God for your kids and for your grandkids to have a relationship with Jesus? And is that what's breaking your heart today? Are you asking him for your neighborhood to have relationship with Jesus? And is that what's breaking your heart today? Whatever it looks like, will you lean in and pray like Nehemiah did? Perhaps your prayer begins by asking God to see the world around you through the lens of love that he sees it through. Perhaps it begins by asking God to soften your heart as you recognize those who need Jesus. Will you sit down and align your heart with God's? Then will you lean in to pray, beginning with praise, confession, and action? Will you accept the challenge today? Lord, with the same example of prayer that we see in Nehemiah chapter 1, we want to pray today. We recognize that you are a good God, an awesome and great Father, the one who made a way where there was no way through the blood of Jesus to reconcile us to you. And so we praise you this morning. But we also recognize that we're not perfect. And so if there is sin in our lives that is keeping us from from growing in our relationship with you, from acting to taking up the challenge and acting as you want us to act, I pray, God, that you will reveal that to us today. And thank you for the forgiveness of sin. So we petition heaven for our families, for our kids, our grandkids, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, those in our immediate sphere of influence who do not have a relationship with Jesus. I pray, God, today that our hearts will be broken by the things that break your heart and you will allow us to have relationship with these people so that we can bring Jesus to them. Oh, God, we need you so, so much. And I pray that we will learn from the example of Nehemiah today. Challenge us by that. 
Holy Spirit, continue your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Ian's going to lead us in another song as he does. It'll give us an opportunity to respond to the word of God today. Through private prayer, however that might look for you. Let's worship the Lord together. Thanks, Ian.
sing it one more time. Christ alone, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He Thank you, Jesus, that you are the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone. So, Lord, as we rebuild this wall, Lord God, help us to remember that you alone, Lord, are the cornerstone. That you are our sure foundation. The rock that is higher than I. So, Lord, help us to rest on you, Lord Jesus, to find our strength, our courage, our faith in you, Lord God. Our hope is in you alone, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Shore up our foundations this morning, Lord God. Redeem us from our brokenness, Lord. Recreate us in your image, Lord God. Christ alone. snippet here that we are looking at on Sunday mornings. Next week we'll carry on, but throughout the week, let this be part of your daily devotions. Maybe you start to read through the book of Nehemiah, it's 13 chapters. We're not going to be able to hit everything and dig it apart in four weeks as, as maybe we could do if we had a longer period of time, but you can certainly dig a little bit deeper at home. So I invite you back next week for week two. If you want to invite someone to come along with you, I want to encourage you to do that and bring them. We've got lots of space here and uh, COVID protocols so our community can feel safe. Feel free to bring somebody with you. And also next to Sunday, we are going to uh, have a Remembrance Day observance at the beginning of the service. So at 1030, we're going to begin with that. So if you're, if you're coming next week, I encourage you just to move right into the auditorium, have a seat, because at 10.30 we will start that Remembrance Day observance next week and then move into our service uh, and carry on from there. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more that we can ask or imagine, be glory, be honor, be praise. God bless you. Have a great week.